0: The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Like, like uh, lots of other words in the English language, The word committed has a lot of different uses and sometimes even different kinds of meanings. Uh, For example, it's... It's he committed a crime. He did something. In our English Standard Version of the Bible, when it talks about or when it uses the word committed, it nearly always refers to this one something they did. They uh, committed a crime. They committed a sin. They committed some kind of an abomination. And it always talks about those kinds of things when it uses the word committed. But there's another idea to the word committed. It's talked about putting something somewhere. For example, he was committed to jail. Or we committed his body to the grave uh, it 's that idea of being of being committed uh, put somewhere, but the word also can be used in the times in the sense of loyalty. Um, we can be committed to a cause or to an organization like a political party or to a church. Uh, one online dictionary that I have read says it 's feeling dedicated or loyal to a cause or an activity or to a job. I read that, and I wondered. Did you miss it too? There's nothing there about people. There's nothing in that definition that says there's any commitment to people or to God or anything like that. But this kind of loyalty is something that uh, is fleeting in our community. Would Would you agree with me that for most people there's not a great deal of commitment that's solid and locked in? There's more about self and commitment than than there is perhaps about what it should be. That we're only committed really as long as we see an outcome that's good for us. For example, a politician will make all kinds of promises, but when he gets elected... Those promises are gone. We forget about them. Or a professional athlete will make a commitment to to a team. And he says, boy, I'm here for the duration. But as soon as he begins to realize that maybe there's no championship for him in that team, but there is over there, he abandons the first commitment and goes to another team in order to win uh, a championship. I'm committed to this thing as long as the outcome looks good to me. But the biblical idea of commitment is far different. Let me, um, let me try to show you what commitment looks like. Take a look at this picture. Do you recognize that guy? Anybody recognize him? That's Brad Ellis. <laughs> and Brad Ellis is in what's called a downstream V at the top of the rapid. It's where you enter a rapid when you're doing canoeing. And, and that's where he is. Let's look at this next picture. Different perspective. The same rapid. Different person. Now, this is where, he, where Brad was. It was kind of like that, a little closer to this side. But understand, when you get in that position, you're going down the rapid. You're committed to the rapid. There's no backing out. There's no escape. There's no clause that says, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. You're doing it. And you're going all the way, and you're either going to go in the canoe or you're going to swim. But one way or other, you're, you're going to the end of the rapid. That's the biblical idea of commitment and being committed. It means that we are going to to go somewhere where there's no escape clause. You're in all the way for the whole thing. It's the commitment that we're going to talk about today. Now listen, here's what it says. We are committed to stay with God to the end, no matter the circumstances or our foreseeable outcomes. Now this is talking about endurance. And when the Bible, in our ESV version, when it talks about this kind of of word, this kind of endurance, it uses the word steadfast. It's the Hebrew word for hesed. It's the Greek word for hupomene. It's steadfast. It's there. There's no backing out. There's no getting away from it. We're here. We're in for the long haul. The last clause of that phrase is important. Circumstances are our foreseeable outcomes. Those are the things that cause us to for always bail on our commitments. I don't like my circumstances, or this outcome is not looking very good, so I'm going to bail out on it. But listen, when we're committed to God, there's nothing like that. How many of you know the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Oh, a few of you do. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Oh, a lot more. (laughs) Okay, so we know about those guys. By the way, why do we always remember their Babylonian names and not their Hebrew names? It's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, you know their story. At the end of the story, they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's the commitment that we're talking about today. That commitment that says we're going all the way with God. We don't care what the circumstances are. We don't care what the outcomes are. We're going all the way with God to the end of the story. Today, we're looking at the story of a man called Caleb. He's at Numbers, verses, Numbers 13 and 14. And the significance of the story is not really uh, what Caleb did, but it's how Caleb did it. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, which is going up on the screen there, we see what he says there about my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb, God says, has a different spirit. What does he mean by a different spirit? That different spirit, or that spirit in this case, is that inner being that's inside of each one of us that drives us, that causes us to make the choices we make. It it causes us to understand the kind of people we are. It determines the conduct we will have. It's that inner being. In biblical soul care terms, it's our... In biblical soul care terms, it's our what? Heart. It's our heart. Remember, we keep hearing people say, what's wrong with your heart? What's the heart problem here? This is the issue. This is the part of of Caleb that was so important. He had this heart that was different from everybody else's heart. And uh, he was committed. He committed it to God. That's what makes the difference. Now, our heart—the kind of heart that we have—is shown in the conduct by which we live. And so, when when he say, "How how was Caleb's heart different?" Well, we see it in his life, in the choices he made, in the kind of man that he was. He shows us what his heart is like, and it's different. His heart wholly or fully followed God. Notice. There are no qualifiers there. There's no circumstantial things there. There's nothing that says, I will follow God if... Put in your own words there. There's nothing like that for Caleb. He fully followed God in every way that he went. It all comes down to a one-word descriptor. Committed. Caleb is committed to God, not to himself. Under every circumstance, whatever the outcome, Caleb is committed to God. Now, we need to take a look at Caleb's story for a minute before we get into all of this stuff. So, one of the things about Caleb is we don't know anything about his father except that his father's name was was Jephunneh and he was a Kenesite. And we know nothing else about him. And the only time he's ever mentioned is as Caleb's father. The other thing is about Caleb, uh, we don't know much about him either. He's kind of a nobody. He's a slave in 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 egypt when he's about 40 years old we know he comes out of egypt walks through the red sea with all the rest of the israelites and uh, that's his backstory that's all we know about him and uh, but he's this guy who goes with these israelites into the wilderness the mount sinai in about two years they come up to the southern border of of the promised land at kadesh barnea and God says to them, hey, guys, time to go into this land. This is the promised land. Time to go into this land. I'm going to give it to you right now. Right now, it's yours. Just go. And uh, in Deuteronomy, we read that the, the, the people said, yeah, great idea. Let's go. But don't you think we should spy it out first and check it out to see what's going on? So God says, yeah, go ahead. Get some spies. Take one person from each tribe and go and, and check out check out the land. And, and so they choose one person from each tribe. And, and Joshua is chosen. We know Joshua. He's chosen and represents the tribe of Ephraim. And Caleb is chosen to represent the tribe of Judah. It's the very first time that Caleb is mentioned in the Bible. He's representing the tribe of Judah. So these 12 guys go into the promised land. And they go from north to south and from east to west. And they check it all out. And after 40 days, they come back to Moses at Kadesh Barnea. And 10 of the spies says... Wow, this is a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. But, always a but, the task is impossible. And the outcome is untenable. It's un, we, can't, we can't abide by the outcome. Because the outcome is, we're all going to die. And our wives and our children are all going to be taken captive. And we can't do this. It's impossible. Then they have a, I call it an outcome switch. An outcome switch is when I don't like what the outcome is going to be, so I change the, change the rules. I change the decision. I change my circumstances so that I can control the outcome myself and I can choose what the outcome is going to be. Their outcome switch was, says, we're going back to Egypt. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua. Caleb is speaking and Joshua is kind of supporting Caleb. And Joshua, Caleb says, this is a great land. We are able to overcome it. We are able to conquer it because the Lord promised to give it to us. Well, this annoys the people and they rise up against Moses and they get stones out. They're going to stone Caleb and Joshua when God shows up. I want you to know, it's never a good idea to go against God. Never. It doesn't work that way. And this is where our story begins. We're going to talk about committed. we going to say, I, was, I am committed when I trust God in the midst of impossible situations. And I want others to experience all that God offers. And I stay strong in the face of my failures. I am committed when I trust God in the midst of impossible situations. It's always kind of interesting when God weighs in on a story and tells us from his version So, 40 years later when they again come up to the promised land, this time at the, at the top of the Dead Sea by Jericho on the other side of the Jordan, God talks to them about going into the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, and I think that's going up there, he says, Here, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go into a dispossess the nations, greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak. So here was the problem. You see, these guys are going in to conquer this land, and what they find is that there's nations that are greater than them, and there's nations more powerful than them, and there's these great fortified cities, and 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 then there's these giants there. And it's, it's, a, it's an impossible situation in their eyes when they look at it. In fact, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, they they, they say, we look like grasshoppers to these guys. Are you there? Are you in the midst of an impossible situation? Are you in a place where you're feeling small and weak and helpless? Where you just are too small to handle the problem? You just don't have the capacity, you don't have the strength. You don't have the ability to deal with the situation that you're facing? Is that where you are? You see, I want you to notice what happens when we get in a place like this. Again, in in chapter 13 of Numbers, in verse 33 of the last part, he says, we look like grasshoppers to them. I wanted to know, how did they know that? How did they know that the people of the Canaanites thought they were like grasshoppers? Do you suppose one of them walked up to one of those giants and said, hey, big guy, want to duke it out? He says, get out of my way, grasshopper. I'll turn you into bug splatter. Is that how they did it? You know what happens when we get in a place like that? We begin to build a case against ourselves. We begin to make things worse than they really are. We begin to say, I, I, I really can't do this. I, I don't have the capacity. There's no way out of this. And we, we make it look worse for us. We make it look like it's, it's impossible for us. And the problem is we get our eyes in the wrong place. We get our eyes looking inward at me instead of outward at God who told them what he was going to do. Look at verse 3 from De- Deuteronomy chapter 9. He says, Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them so that you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised. God is going to go before them and God is going to go as a consuming fire and God is going to defeat them and, and crush them and you're going to drive them out. You get the easy job. They're defeated, they're crushed and, and you chase them out of the land. That's how God deals with us. When we get into those kinds of impossible situations, He doesn't abandon us there. He doesn't leave us behind. But He wants us to come to Him and look Him in the eyes. But my problem is when I get my eyes looking at me, and I get my heart in that place where it's looking inwardly, and I see my impossible circumstances and I see the outcomes that could come from that, I begin to want to change my outcomes. And you know what happens? I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go there. I'll, I'll, I'll bail out on my marriage. My marriage is, 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 is this chaos. I don't, I don't like it. It's, nothing's going good. It's everything bad. I'm going to bail out on my marriage. i got news for you. No marriage is everything bad all the time. It's just not like that. We can have bad times and it can be hard times. But listen, it's not always bad. But we look at it through our own eyes and there's nothing we can do about it. So we're out of here. Now listen, let me tell you for a second that sometimes there needs to be an out of here in a marriage. Look at First Corinthians. Don't do it now. Look at First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. In, in situations where, where you're at great risk, where there's danger of injury and harm and, 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 and really harsh things, safety things, then probably you need to be out of there. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time, we've built up a whole picture of our marriage, that's, 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 and I'm out of here. Or I talked to a few people recently who are single, and they say, I can't stand being single. I'm so lonely. You don't understand what it means to be lonely. I, you're, you're right, I don't. I'm, I'm one of the blessed and fortunate ones that I that I haven't been lonely. I have a wife and we've been married for a long time. And I'm blessed by that. And so I haven't experienced loneliness. But let me tell you what. God can deal with your loneliness. God can give you victory over that. The when the loneliness is there, He can handle it if we, if we, if we get our eyes fixed on Him. Or what about the ones that say, where's God? Where's God when my child, my child is in desperate place? Where's God? What is he doing? And we gotta, if God doesn't love my child, then, then, then we're out of here. Or perhaps I leave the church because I don't like something that happened. We bail out on our commitments and when we're going there. But it's at this point that Caleb gets involved. And Caleb, we're going back to Numbers 19, 14 again. And Caleb gets involved and, uh, in verse 8. And he says, um, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Uh, see what these things he's saying here. There's three, three things that Caleb says. When you're facing your impossible situation, will you remember these three things? Number one, he says, God delights in you. And I know when you're going through an impossible time, it's really hard to see that God really delights in me. But this is a part of faith. It's a part of belief. I believe that God delights in me. Listen, remember what it says in Lamentations chapter 3, where uh, the, Jeremiah says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God delights in you. He never changes that. He loves you. The second thing that, jo- that uh, Caleb says is he's going to give us the victory. He will give this land to us. He's going to give you the victory so that you triumph for him. Listen to me. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible tells us that God in the cross of Jesus Christ has, has destroyed the enemy that are before us. He's disarmed them. He's taken the weapons away from them. He gives you the victory. And we'll talk about that one in a minute. And number three. He says he will give you the riches of his blessings. He will give you this land that's flowing with milk and honey. You see, God is there on your side. Remember those three things. And guess what though? You still have to march into the battle. You still have to face the giants. You still have to face those big fortified cities. You still have to do the painful work of of dealing with what's going on in your life. But you don't do it alone. When you're walking through the darkness, remember what Daniel says, that God knows what's in the darkness. And you walk with God through the darkness And through the crisis and through the impossible situations till he gives you victory. You're walking in the company of the Lord of heaven and earth. And then Caleb says in verse 9, he says, I don't want you to fear this situation. Don't be afraid of what's going on in your life. Don't be afraid of the situation. He says it two times in verse 9. Don't be afraid. Look what he says. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread to us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Three great things here that he tells us about them. First of all, he says they are bread to you. What does that mean to be bread to you? Well, that means one thing. You you can eat them up. You've heard these big guys. I'm going to just eat that guy. Or it could be that you're going to take a piece of bread. And he's just going to go like this to it. And that's what they are to you. A piece of bread that you could crush in your hand. Nothing to be scared of. Nothing to be worried about. God is there on your side making you able to turn a piece of bread into something like that. They're bread to you. And then he says, listen to this. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 for a minute. Or you can listen while I read it to you. And you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame, triumphing over this. He disarmed... He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He took away their weapons. You're going to march into that promised land and fight these guys and God's taken away their weapons. There aren't any weapons against you when you walk with God. They are bread to us. The most impossible situation that you face is, is your death. And God has taken it's our, it's our sins and God has taken all of our sins and nailed them to the cross. They're gone. He has given us victory. So he says they're bred to us. The next thing he says is God has removed the enemy's protection. Think about that. He's removed the enemy's protection. They have no defense against you. This thing that's attacking you and this thing that you're wrestling with, understand there's no defense against you when you're walking in with God. They cannot stand. They are already defeated if you are committed to God's way. God says in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15 that He has destroyed, in the cross of Jesus, he has destroyed the one that has the power of death. That is the devil. He's destroyed him in the cross. It's it's done. The enemy attacks you because they cannot defend themselves. I want you to notice something. In the first section, he says he took away their weapons. In the second section, he says, we've taken away their defenses. What do they have? No weapons, no defense. No defense. What do they have? Uh, Not much. And so what do they do? They attack you because that's the only thing they can do. They're going to attack you, but there's nothing that they have to attack you with. It's kind of a curious thing. But listen to what God says in Ephesians, in chapter chapter 6, when He talks about the armor of God. He says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may withstand the schemes of the devil. Why schemes? Because he has no weapons. He has schemes. He has deceit. He has has things planned so that he can try to confuse you. He can try to get you in a situation where he can deceive you and tell you, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. You're in an impossible place, man. And he's trying to deceive you. That's why in Revelation he's called the great deceiver. It's all he can do. Oh, he's good at it though. He's powerful at deceiving us. But let us never, never know, never think that he has power over you. He has only power to deceive you. And all the power belongs to God. In Caleb's words, he tells us then, The Lord is with you. In the darkness of your situation, it's easy to feel alone what is he doing why doesn't he do what I want him to do why isn't he helping me here but don't allow that to happen Romans 8 31 says God is for us who can be against us in Caleb's words he says we are well able to overcome it don't be afraid God is with you in this whole thing you just need to believe it listen there's a hard truth here that we have to face though There's a hard truth. Sometimes the circumstances that you're so torn up about, sometimes those circumstances won't change. Sometimes the outcomes that you are afraid of are actually going to be the outcomes that take place. Sometimes that will happen. Sometimes what you hope for doesn't happen. Loved ones may die. Spouses may leave. Pain may continue. However, from my experience, when you embrace God's victory, it's likely that you will no longer want the result that you were looking for in the first place. You will be content with the victory that God gives you. When you are committed to God, the victory will be His, and the triumph beyond our imagination is kept in heaven for you. Peter says, our inheritance, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that is kept in heaven for you. I am committed when I trust God in the midst of an impossible situation. And second, I am committed when I want others to experience all that God has to offer, everything that's there. Caleb did not downplay the extent of their problems, he saw the fortified cities and the giants. He saw this. He saw the strength of the nations. He was a warrior. He knew the situation. But Caleb is also intimately aware of the rewards the land would bring, the blessings of God. He says it's an exceedingly good land. And he wanted the Israelites to experience all the unparalleled blessings of this land flowing with milk and honey. But here's the real issue it comes only through faith in God. In verse 9 of chapter 14, he says, Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not refuse him, do not reject him. You've got to cling tightly, you have to have faith in him. It's the only way you'll ever experience the fullness of the blessings that God is offering to you. In chapter fourteen, verse eleven, and I'm not going too far. <laughs> this is the promised land Caleb's talking about. It's the promised land. It's the one that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the it's the land that they've been dreaming about from, from for 400 years while they're enslaved in Egypt. It's the promised land. We're standing right there. And, and we can go and get it, he says. It's ours. He wanted them to have that. But this was an angry mob that he was faced with. These were people who were not happy with what he was saying. <laughs> they hated him. They hated Caleb. They were going to stone him. They were going to kill him when God showed up. But it was the promised land. And Caleb was desperately pleading with them, even though they hated him, to trust in God and to receive the blessings that God was offering to them. What about you, church? Are you, are you pleading with people to come to know Jesus Christ and to know the blessings of Him? Is that is that the foremost in, your, in your, before your face? You want people to come to know Jesus Christ and, and have their sins washed away and be saved by Him and have the blessings of God in their lives. We know the promised land is more than Canaan. The richness that God holds out to us far surpasses a land that's flowing with milk and honey. We're talking about heaven itself. Life in the presence of Jesus Christ. It is a gift given to those who are committed to Him. But I don't want to deny the extent of your impossible situation that you're facing. But each one of us has a far bigger problem. It's the consequences of our sins that separate us from God. Look what he says in chapter 14, verse 11. When God comes up, he says, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? The problem is sin that we have in our lives and that sin causes a separation before between God and us it's our whole problem it's way greater than anything else you're facing until this problem is resolved how can we ever expect to experience the blessings that God has to offer the only solution is faith in Jesus Christ it's the only place to go and he's offering it to you It is the faith that we experience and in that faith we experience the fullness of all that God has to offer us forgiveness and hope and life with Jesus with his heart committed fully to God in faith Caleb was able able to experience the fullness of what God offered to him he was able to enjoy the benefits of this land that flowed with milk and honey but the other ones not so much the others had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they all died and none of them got it none of them received what was there But think about this. Caleb, who was committed to God and was faithful to God in all these things and had his heart fully there for God, he also had to walk through the wilderness for 40 years. He had to endure the journey, the dust, the hot, the sand, the the tents, all that stuff, the wilderness wanderings for 40 years. But the difference is he lived and experienced the wonders of God. And the others, they died. There are some people here Some people here are still separated from God. They haven't given their faith to Him yet. They're wandering in the wilderness like like the, the people of Israel were. And they will die there if they don't come to faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, if that's you, think about what you're doing. You cannot experience the fullness of the blessings that God is offering if you are not willing to be committed to Him in faith, no matter what the circumstances or outcomes are. It's faith in God that you need to do. We want you... We want you to experience what God has given to us. We want you to experience the blessings that God gave that are far greater than what Caleb had in the promised land. Now is a good day to do that. We want others to experience all that God has to offer. And then I I stay strong in the face of my failures. You know, when... when, uh, God says Caleb is a man after his own heart. You know that Caleb disappears right there. He disappears from the biblical story for 45 years. We don't hear anything about him. He's just just gone. He's just disappeared. 45 years later, uh, they've conquered the land. They've marched across the Jordan River. They conquered Jericho. They conquered all the land. They've defeated all the enemies there. And and they've actually distributed all the land. They set it out. All the tribes got their portion. It was all distributed. And then Caleb shows up again. Now, Caleb has been there. Caleb was a leader of Judah. Caleb may have been the commander of the army. We don't know. He just doesn't talk about him. But 45 years later... He comes to Joshua, who is the leader of Israel. He comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, remember the promise that God made to me that I would have an inheritance in this land. He says, we've done all the work. We've done everything. I want to go and get my land now. Is that okay with you? If I go and receive the inheritance that God promised to me. And Joshua blessed Caleb and sent him and sent him on to get his land. And the rest of the story is picked up in the book of Judges chapter 1. And in Judges chapter 1, we see Caleb with Judah going, and guess where their land was? Their land was the huge fortified cities, their land was the mountains of Judah, and their land was the land of the giants. The very thing that scared those 10 guys away way back 45 years ago was the very land that God gave to Caleb. And now at the end of the day, he's marching out to, to capture this land with the people of Judah with him. And they do it. They capture Hebron where the giants lived, this great fortified city. They captured the land. And they had an inheritance was his and it was there and it was set. And if you read in Judges chapter 1, we come to verse 19 and there's a big... Whoops. Judges 1, verse 19. The Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Really? Didn't God take care of the chariots of Egypt? Didn't God say he was able to give them the whole land? Do you know that earlier in this, the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim came to Joshua and said, we can't conquer our land because these guys have chariots of iron. And Joshua said, you can, go and do it. What happened to Judah? God said, I'll give you the land. I'll give you every square inch of it. I'll, I'll drive out all the Canaanites before you. We can't do it because they had chariots of iron. Whatever it was, Whatever happened there, Caleb did not finish the job. It was an epic failure that was duplicated by most of the other tribes. And in Judges chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, the angel of the Lord that went up from Gilgal came to them. The angel of the Lord who came and traveled with them. And he says to them, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? Oh, epic failure. Let's not deny what this is. This is sin. This is disobedience. And it was an epic failure. And he says to them, listen guys, the problem is that I'm not ever going to drive them out now. You had your chance. You were faithful to me. If you had been faithful and clung to me, we'd have driven everything out and everything would have been done. But you refused. You rebelled. You despised me. And it was an epic failure with catastrophic consequences. In chapter 2, verse 10, We read, And all that generation was gathered to their fathers. That was the generation of Joshua and Caleb. All that generation dies. And there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. The very next generation did not know the Lord or the work that they had done. The epic failures that we face and have in our life have consequences that are seen in the very next generation. Our own children. I have a son that I love dearly. He's more like me than all the rest of my kids are. But he's not faithful to God. He's not walking with God. And I believe part of the reason, not all of the reason, but part of the reason is we experienced a crisis in our life when he was about 15 years old. And I didn't help him deal with it in a godly and Christ-honoring way. And that's part of the reason why he's not walking with the Lord today. And I pray to God that one day he will fix that. And he will come to be faithful to you. But understand our epic failures have consequences that follow us. And the result of this was Caleb's people, the Jews, were were in terrible distress. We heard about that last week, actually. Like Caleb, many in this room today have experienced epic failures. Does my epic failure mean that that my heart is not fully following God? That I don't have a different heart? Or that I'm not committed to God? No, not at all. It means I've sinned, that I've really screwed up, that there are horrifying consequences that I have to face. It is my committed faith then in Jesus Christ that I am forgiven, forgiven even of the epic failures, my sins nailed to the cross and washed away in His blood. When I am committed to my faith relationship with God, I am never content with my failures, with my sin. And my commitment is to enter into the consequences, enter into the consequences of my failures, seeking to bring God's light in the darkness around me. This means I need to confess my sins and I need to repent of them and I need to seek forgiveness. But I don't do it when it has consequences that are are outreaching to many people. I don't do it in the quietness of my room. I come here with authenticity and transparency and vulnerability and I stand before people and say, I have sinned. And the consequences of things that you are enduring now are caused because of my failure. And I want to help you to deal with these sins in a godly, Christ-honoring way. I want to help you draw close to God and experience the victory that He has for you and He can offer to you. We hear no more of Caleb nothing more after that except for one thing his nephew and his son-in-law Othniel he becomes the first judge of Israel and the spirit of the Lord is on him And somehow Caleb worked with Othniel and Caleb and his his people dealt with the failure that they had done and they raised up a people, some of the people like Othniel who loved God and were committed to God like they were and he became the judge of Israel to judge them for 40 more years. Caleb couldn't repair the sin but he could repair the damage that it did. You cannot remove your epic failure of any kind of sin But you can be forgiven. You can enter the consequences of your sin and seek to bring the victims of your sin to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's our task. We're not perfect. But my sins, I need to deal with the consequences of them because they impact another generation of people. This youth team up here If we don't deal with them in a godly, Christ-honoring way and help them to work through our failures and our miscues and the things we did, who knows where they'll go. Our task is to the people who are victims of the consequences of our sins. I am committed. I am committed. When I trust God in the midst of impossible situations when I want others to experience the fullness of all that God has to offer and when I stay strong in the face of my failures just like Caleb did everyday heroes in all things are more than conquerors through him who loves us Romans chapter 8 verse 37 take a look at this next slide it was not intentional that Caleb's story Came at the end of this series, but it is so appropriate. The reality is that there is a common thread through all of our everyday heroes. Each one was committed to God. That commitment was revealed with different conduct and various characteristics. It was humble, it was sacrificial, it was fervent, it was bold, it was faith filled, it was loyal, and it was willing. The truth is that Hannah, she just wanted a baby. And Josiah, he was a child who wanted to play video games. Deborah, she wanted to sit under her tree and talk to people about God. Rahab, she's a prostitute without any future. And on and on it goes all come to the conclusion that there is only one sure outcome for them. Commit their life to God and all the way to the end. They were the everyday heroes. What about you? Can you see your names up there? Are you in a place where God, our Lord Jesus, can turn you into an everyday hero do you have a different heart are you fully committed to him Paul in the book of Timothy 2nd Timothy he tells us what it's like I have fought the good fight I have finished the course I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all of you who have loved his appearance. Everyday heroes, just like you. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at harvestberry.ca. And remember, you are loved.